live from Philadelphia, you're listening to Corona, where three gay friends, each professors, creatives, and weirdos, talk with other queer and queer-adjacent creatives and personalities about anything they damn well like, from 80s pop culture to hypnotic sex practices, all while we're experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic. Season one of Queerona was recorded between March 15th and May 15th of 2020. So now lean back, relax, and enjoy. George has lights on, I see. These, these oh, I've added some lights. Look at these lights I've added. Can you see? Oh, wow. They're all over. Disco lights. Yes. Some laser lights. I'm sure my apartment, my neighbors don't appreciate it. I don't know if you can see the lasers. I can see them. Such a like bachelor pad in there. Get your booty out of the intersection. You're holding up the punk. And now who's your host? Hello and welcome to Quirona. Uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, we have an innovator of fashion, of nightlife, of music, and uh, now of creating some very exciting masks that also have a uh, altruistic element to them. We have Alphonse Dovana with us. Welcome to Quirona. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we want to talk to you uh, a little bit about fashion to begin with okay. and um, how you sort of got into uh, designing clothes and designing accessories and your sort of like obsession with, you know, as someone, you know, if somebody looks at your social media, you're very, someone that's not only creating things, but also you're interested in sort of accumulating and uh, curating different fashion so where did that all start for you of that sort of interest? So I, you know, I'm Albanian born. I was born in Albania. Um, I grew up in Florida. We moved to Florida in 92. So when I was like 10, my family, we would always go back to Albania every summer. We would spend the summer there like a month or two months. And I also spent some time in Italy. And, you know, while I was over there, we had a channel there. It was called Fashion TV. So everything fashion, runways, coutures, models, designers. Well, what makes the great difference is the designer, I would say. Some designers want you very feminine, some designers want you very stiff, some designers want you very simple. I like the contrast of all that, and I like to be able to suit in each, uh, you know, sort of character they ask me for. It's like being, you know, 12 different type of women. It's really funny. Every summer, just being, in, you know, being surrounded with fashion and you know the television and just the culture it just kind of grabbed me at a young age so at a young age i started you know deconstructing jeans and doing a lot of like um sewing a lot of uh crystals and painting on garments when i was 18 i actually got a i got hired at louis vuitton as one of their visuals so i was very young and at that point i was like oh my god i'm working for louis vuitton you know i was one of their highest sales um sales associates and then, you know, they loved my visuals, so I started doing visuals for them for five years before I moved to Atlanta. So when I moved to Atlanta, I started styling for St. John. 
And at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of like ready to take my clients outside of the retail store and, you know, kind of like style them outside of the store. So I started styling my clients outside of the store. So it was kind of more freelance. And at that point, I was still working in nightlife. So I was kind of, you know, balancing um, best of both worlds. Then I decided to go to uh, design school. Uh, recently graduated last year. So me, in the meantime, since the last year, I've been kind of like, you know, uh, developing my studio, you know, getting equipment, lighting, cutting table. So that's what I've been working on for the past two years. So when you were creating these looks, you know, when you were a teenager, were they just that you were sort of responding to, like, you know, what you were seeing? Or were you purposely making these looks to go out at night? Or I, I, I mean, even till this day, like, my aesthetic is so out there that I can't really go into a store and say, this is my look. So I've always found that I have to kind of create what I want and I can't rely on other designers and brands and stores to give me what I'm, you know, 100% fulfilled with. So I've, you know, at a young age, I took that upon myself to accessorize, deconstruct, you know, um, and just kind of play around with different looks and aesthetics and materials and fabrics. So what was it like to be, you know, in Albania in that time and to like sort of push boundaries in that way in terms of the way you appeared or? Well, Albania kind of like gave me things. Um, I was exposed to a lot in Albania and I was exposed to a lot in Italy. Um, you know, so Albania is still a little conservative, when it comes to fashion, so was Florida at the time. So it doesn't matter where I went, I still didn't kind of feel like I belonged. Even like, even in Atlanta, like I still feel like when I go out, I stand out too much, if that makes sense. So I feel like the traveling has definitely helped me be more comfortable with my aesthetic. Traveling to like New York, LA, Chicago, Tokyo, like all, all the travels that I've done have really, uh, made me more comfortable with my style. What was the style like in Atlanta and how do you, I was curious. So if you were to, if the bars, well, some bars are open, but if, you know, if it was a regular weekend and you went to like the gay bars during summer, everyone's wearing khaki shorts with a polo and flip flops. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the pretty much the opposite of what I'm wearing now. <laughs> But, you know, I think in a way we find, like, you know, people that are creative and that are unique in some ways um, have to kind of create their own space. And that's something that you've done. One of the things that you've done is create this party, Queen Butch, which is definitely a place for people who are transcending ideas of gender and, and appearance. these events like sort of you creating a space that you felt in some way um, at 
home with or? I mean, that's exactly what I did. Um, two years ago when I started the brand, I'm like, you know what? I, when you go to a gay party, you always feel the pressure of, you know, being, too, you have to, you know, look masculine. You can't, you know, femme out too much. Otherwise, they're going to be like, um, no, thank you. You know, the music is tends to be a little bit more aggressive. So I did want to create an environment where you can go and, you know, really be yourself, whether that's, you know, femme, butch, an elephant, a giraffe, you know, come in as whatever you want to be. And that's what the party is based around. And, you know, I pretty much have hands on in everything. I do my own ads, videos. I do all my costumes for the, for the dancers. So it, it's, it, you know, I'm able to pretty much create the space that I envisioned in my head of what the city needs. And, you know, and I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm happy that other people are enjoying themselves. That's what, you know, really. It's interesting because like, you know, you're saying, you know, it's obviously like gay men or, you know, sort of cis gay men, I have an affinity for fashion, but at the same time, we put this sort of pressure on each other to like be masculine in a certain yeah. way or to like limit our presentation in order to be seen as sexually viable or, or whatever it is. Do you think that like nightlife can change those types of things or those sort of perceptions? And why do you think that is that we, even to this day, gay sort of gay nightlife is sort of kind of still pretty binary. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, a lot of gay parties tend to be very overly sexualized. So when, you know, when you go into an overly sexualized party, you have to, you know, look a certain type of way, you know, present yourself a certain type of way. So it's like, you're like on the hunt, like on the prowl, like I, I'm, all I'm, all I'm worried about is like dancing with the hottest guy. And I, I don't, and I feel like it's okay to go to those parties, but I feel like we need a variety you know, you can go to a sex party and have it be about just sex and this, but I feel like we need an environment where it's purely about the music, the vibe, and, you know, pulling a fierce look at the end of the day. At a lot of these gay parties, it's not about pulling a fierce look. It's about wearing a jock strap that matches your glow-in-the-dark harness and your glow-in-the-dark shoes, which <laughs> is fine, but not every single party needs to be that way i think we need you know variety we need, we need options yeah there's something that you know it's like an under under it's like an unsaid kind of thing about parties that they need to be even if they're not like outwardly sexual there's like an there, there's an undercurrent that you have to sort of present in a way that is easy for other people to understand and what's so exciting i think about what you're doing is that it's still like a, a fun and in some ways sexy party, but it's like showing that not everybody has to look a certain way in order to be sexy or in order to be interesting. Exactly. I'm 21 and I'm an artistic, fun-loving gay man. I work as an instructional assistant for autistic kids, so compassion is very close to my heart. I love to sing and dance. It's so much fun. I haven't found the right guy yet. Believe me, I've tried quite a few of them out. The next bus is pulling in with five different guys. I can't wait to see which one I'm going to pull out. You work with your family in terms of 
um, putting it together and with and with uh, how did that start? <laughs> my yeah. sister the got in business. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I, you know, my family. I'm very lucky. My family is super supportive, and you know, and it's and throwing a party can be very stressful. So for me to have my family and my close friends there is like whenever like you and David that you were there. You know, it's just kind of that sense of like comfort. You know, because I am running around, it is very stressful. And, you know, my experience is totally different from your experience. But, like, knowing you guys are there makes my day go by a little bit smoother. So, and it's nice. You know, they're they're having fun. I The last party, I really didn't want my mom there because she had a bad knee. She was like, no, you can't let me, you know, stay home while you and your friends are partying for your birthday. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you're going to sell fans then. She was like, okay, give me the fans. <laughs> And she worked the fans, you know, so it was fun. But, I mean, overall, I mean, the whole motto of the party is, you know, is to emphasize diversity and individuality. That's, you know, my main goal for the party. So I want a diverse party, you know, so that's my overall goal for the party. I mean, you hear about this, and I was just reading Debbie Harry's book that she has out, but when she's talking about the the early, late 70s, early 80s, some of the things they describe, she describes, but you hear this in other places, like they, it seems like they had these kind of parties. You know? Back in the 80s? Yeah, like at some point in the 70s, like where it was a lot more mixed and there was all these different types yeah, of people yeah. and, and it's kind of weird how we seem to get away from that. Yeah, I mean, especially, the, you know, the, the gay community can be very segregated. You know, you have a bear party, you have a circuit party, you have you know, the queer party, like I wanted an environment that, you know, catered to all, you know, the, the trans, the people of color, the bears, the daddies, the jocks, the fairies, you know, I wanted everyone pretty much packed up into a room and, you know, see what happens, <laughs> see how they interact. And, you know, and it's, it's interesting to see how people adapt and interact with one another when it's not, you know, just one type of party. Do you think that um, that has something to do with it? You know, it feels like gay people are more identity-based now in some ways than they were maybe in the 80s or early early 90s. Even when I was in New York in the late 90s, there were still parties like Motherfucker and things like that. That because we're sort of like one identify as these sort of like uh, bear, leather, you know, that by putting all of these kind of like tags on us that it kind of split splinters us from kind of intermingling or oh, for sure. people do more than one thing. George, what are you? What group are you, George? <laughs> what tribe? You know, they always used to ask this formula questions in the old photo play magazines, yes. like uh, what was your first screen kiss like and all of that stuff. But <coughs> yes. Let's do a variation of that. Did you ever kiss anyone on the screen who was so repulsive that you just couldn't stand to it? Did you? Uh, I wish I could use the name. If so, what was his name was going to be the second part of this. I absolutely can't till he dies. Maybe it's because no one wants to be rejected, so they went into these groups, right, where the... I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a sense of, like, comfort, you know, being, like, see, for me, like, people call me a bear, but it's like, I don't really, can, I may look like a bear, but I don't think I have that much in common with bears when I actually hang out with them. That makes sense? No, you don't at all. Yeah, so just because I look 
like I belong with this group doesn't necessarily mean I do, you know? There's also that question of aesthetics versus, I don't know, a group like, because George and I have had this conversation, but about like the harnesses and leather and how it, in some way, there's, there's still some groups, but it used to be more of something like this specific group where you had to like earn this leather and you, like the whole world really, community. And now everybody, like you're saying, the, the glow in the dark harnesses or you, you know, everybody's wearing it as an aesthetic piece. Yeah, so it's just kind of like lost its, you know, it's kind of lost its meaning in a way. Yeah, that's true. Like it's sort of now. Like the hanky codes, like nobody follows those, that stuff anymore. And this is one of my favorite colors, green. It reminds me of Ireland. Just using it quite liberally. Just to bring out the detailing within the face, the structure. Right, like what's the bar in, in Provincetown? Is it with Purgatory, the one with the, it's like the whole line, I was gonna meet George. Yeah. The whole line of people and every single person, you know, it was like, I don't know, had the harness. Like <laughs> it's like some version here. Like, it's just like, everybody's got the same. I feel like, I mean, I will say, I feel like now, it doesn't matter what kind of party you go to, whether it's a bear, you know, circuit, it's, it's the people are starting to be repetitive as far as like what they're wearing to these parties. Mm. I think it's fear. I think that's what's so exciting about what you're doing is that it's like a place not to be afraid um, to have to look a certain way in order to feel confident. You know, I mean, I've had moments, you know, even like going to like the white party or something where I'm like, I'm dressed too weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like being that person that's dressed so weirdly here, you know? So I'll like either do it and be resentful the whole time or won't do it. And then feel like, because um, nobody, like nobody appreciates that. And those yeah. types of, they don't often they don't often equate it with sexy. I think, not that I'm an expert, but you know, they see something that looks different. They think of it maybe as like outrageous or comedy, or yeah. they're like, oh, like I'm really attracted to this person because they're like sexual and wearing it. Yeah, and it could be something really like nominal. Like I was wearing a white lace button-up shirt. And I was like, well, this is sexy. It's sheer. It's like a white lace shirt. (laughs) That sounds very sexy. (laughs) But it wasn't. It was like I was being some bizarre fashion person. Isn't this in the desert? Yeah, yeah. You think that would be practical? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really in like a Ramada or something. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of of a party at the Ramada. Is there a Ramada in Atlanta? Maybe that can be the next. I think there is, actually. Oh, boy, Ramada. Say, Mr. Bill, there's a much fancier place across the street. Are you sure we can afford it? Sure, and you'll get the red carpet treatment. Yes. So what does it cost to stay here? Oh, no, don't do that. That would be an arm and a leg. The moral? For great value, go with what you know, like Ramada, where you know you'll get a comfy room at a great rate. For happy adventures, go to ramada.com or call 1-800-2-RAMADA. Now that there's, you know, this sort of quarantine going on, and um, you and I have been talking a little bit about sort of Zoom parties that have been going on, and you mentioned on your Instagram that you're thinking of doing a Queen Butch mm-hmm. uh, uh, via Zoom. So tell us more about, what, about that, those plans. Just in case, you know, pride doesn't happen, 
you know, I still want to do something and I feel like I have to adapt to what's going on, you know, what's going on in the world right now and Zoom parties are happening. So I'll probably do one either two separate days or just do like, you know, multiple DJs and then just have them, you know, have each of them come on like every hour, every two hours. So, you know, I definitely want to do something and then use that money, you know, to donate to, you know, entertainers, DJs, you know, drag performers who are out of work right now. So that's an idea I have. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because there are still promoters who are still planning and still selling tickets for that weekend. So for me, it's kind of like pressure. It's like, well, what happens if, you know, some people go through these parties, right? Are they going, if they're out and about, and going to these bars when it's really not that safe, are they still going to be going home and attending these Zoom parties? So that's another issue I have to, you know, worry about because yeah. as, you know, as, as what, you know, you saw, you know, online recently with that club is, you know, a lot of these bars are acting, you know, irresponsibly. And, you know, that's something that I have to think about when I'm doing this Zoom party. Are people going to attend? If they're going to these like, you know, underground speakeasies, you know, circuit parties when they really should be staying home in quarantine because the virus is, you know, still out and catching people. Speaking of these sort of underground speakeasies, you recently took a photo of some people, uh, a lot of people congregating at a gay bar in Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. then the owner contacted you. Tell us about this. So I, I was, you know, I was on Instagram and a hairstylist that I worked with in the past had a photo on the story. I'm like, dude, is this really recent? He was like, yes. I'm like, okay. I screenshotted it. I shared it on my Facebook and I also shared it on my Instagram. And within 24 hours, it literally got so many reshares that, you know, people were just resharing it, just going crazy it's just like, how dare they do this? And it's funny, like the oh, that 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 club. There was two bars. The bar on the left, which was wasn't even in the photograph. But the owner, he was getting so much bad publicity that he ended up sending me a message and saying, "Hey, because of your post, you're no longer allowed in this club." And keep in mind, I haven't been in this club in five years. I don't like the club, you know, I don't care for it. So the fact that you're banning me from a club that I don't even go to, I just thought it was so bizarre. So, you know, I took a screenshot of the message and I shared that. And apparently so many other people came, came forward saying he was doing this to them. So to me, it, I was like, well, damn, like, I guess the list of people who can't come in is bigger than the list of people who I could actually come in. It was just crazy. It's insane. Well, what was the photo of it? It was people congregating. So what was happening is um, there was a Mexican restaurant and then a gay bar right next to there. It's like a very like popular place to go to on the weekends. Well, Atlanta made it okay for you to order drinks to go. And then, you know, even drive through, you can drive through a restaurant, order a margarita and drive it to your house. Oh, wow. Well, this parking lot, had photos of just like at least a hundred people congregating in the parking lot, drinking margaritas. So the bars were not enforcing one social distancing 
and nobody had a mask. So, and, you know, the community was upset. Like, you know, I'm not saying don't, you know, don't go out of your house or don't open your business, but if you're going to open your business, at least, you know, hire enough security to say, Hey guys, you know, you order your drink. Now it's time to go home. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're going to come to this bar, please wear a mask, do something. Yes. yes. So, you know, just got a lot of bad reviews a week later. Um, MSNBC, you know, well, that, that night, um, MSNBC reached out to me. They're like, well, can we use photos? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, sure. I'm like, well, we'll keep you discreet. I'm like, sure. I don't care. Well, I think the weekend after it was actually Cinco de Mayo and a reporter actually, you know, went there with a camera. They're like, well, you know, forget these pictures because the pictures had already been circulated. So they actually wanted video footage to make sure that that was what was happening. Well, that news actually ended up going on CNN. Like it became, you know, uh, nationwide news about these two bars, you know, acting reckless and allowing these people to congregate. I mean, the bar owner was playing music, was having chairs outside of his bar for people to sit in. So yeah, it's just, it's very bizarre for me because that to me that shows that your pocket is worth more than the health of the community. So right. you're actually promoting their demise. In some yeah. Way. I'm not, you know, I just, I just feel like, you know, promoters and club owners, we have a responsibility right now and that's, you know, the safety of our community. It's not right now. This is not the time to be worrying about, you know, making money off of people. You're like the Jessica Fletcher of the gay world right now. <laughs> this could lead to a TV show where you like go around the country and. But Vera Wells, gentlemen, about now she's boarding a plane for California. She asked me to stand in for her. Miss Fletcher. Vera had private business with Mr. Rousseau and me. I'm afraid your private business has gone public as of Vera's deposition to the police this afternoon. So let's talk about this big thing that you've been doing at this. You've been creating masks and uh, you've been creating a, a wide variety of masks and then also creating for every mask that you sell, you're donating two masks to first responders that are, the you know, the medical grade. Uh, masks. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with this idea? And then tell me more about like how this came into fruition. In March, um, first week of lockdown, you know, I'm like, you know what, I need to do something. I have, you know, I'm going crazy in the house. I was like, let me just start making masks. You know, I was looking at different materials. I found this HEPA filter um, that's used for commercial grade um, vacuum cleaner bags. So I did a little bit more research to see if it's safe to use. So I'm like, let me just make a few masks for, you know, doctors. Because at that point I was reading and um, I, was look, I was looking at the news and doctors were getting sick and nurses were getting sick because nobody had PPE. You know, all supplies were short. The virus is going crazy and it was infecting doctors. I was like, wow, I was like, that sucks. I like to, for these doctors to like save, you know, put their life on the line and families and kids at home. So, you know, I decided just to start making surgical masks and also raise money by selling neoprene masks. So at the time, it was just me. And within the first week, I posted what I was doing. That went viral. I mean, I had so, many, so much support and so, many, so much donations and so much sales to the point where, oh, wow, I was like, this is not a one-man job. Yeah. So within a week, you know, I had five other people helping me. I had one delivery person. 
and I had four other people helping me sell. So pretty much, you know, I'm selling these neoprene masks for $25 for each mask I sell. Um, I'm going to donate an additional two surgical masks from what I'm already donating. So I'm already donating what, you know, from, from myself, but I'm going to donate an additional two from each sale. So, and I'm still doing it, you know, um, all the masks are going, I've, I've sent out, I've, we are, I've already made 1500 surgical masks. I've sold about 400, um, neoprene masks and my you know now that things are slowing down um, I decided to you know not just focus on first responders and hospitals and medical but um, this week I'm going to be donating to um, the homeless community the homeless shelters because that's a community you know that's a community that they don't have resources to you know pay for um, these protection that they need during this time yeah uh, and you've got, you're working like crazy hours doing it too. Like 10 yeah. hours sometimes your mom is helping you. Yeah, she, well, she, you know, she's already helping me with like, you know, the cooking and this, but now I've had to, I also iron my masks. So when I, you know, mail you a mask, I don't want it to look, look all crazy. I want it to make sure it's nicely pressed and she's helping me with that. So I'm very thankful for that. I love how you get your mom in all these projects. <laughs> like, woman, well, I'm putting you to work. Now, she actually she actually wants it, so she wants to be a part of this. So She's a social media star as well. <laughs> <laughs> she loves the spotlight. Yeah. You can help support Queerona Podcasts by sponsoring us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Queerona where there are several tiers of support where you can assist us with our production and bringing new voices for season two of Queerona. There are three tiers of support. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what are you doing? There are four tiers of support for Queerona. Our first tier is a $15 shout out. Our second tier gives you all access to all of season one immediately at $40. At $50, you receive that plus the shout out. And for those who really want to support us, you can get a luxury t-shirt designed by collage artist Toby Celery for $100. At the end of each podcast, we ask, um, we don't have Matt here today, but we go around and say something that we recommend for uh, our listeners to either listen to, read, uh, think about, whatever, during this, you know, while we're isolated. Um, So, Philip, do you want to start? Yes. (laughs) I started watching, for the sports fans that are listening... Uh, you may have heard about this documentary from ESPN called The Last Dance, which is really about the, you know, the Chicago Bulls had this great team. Oh, someone just posted about that. Right. right. And they won like three championships and then Michael Jordan took his little break and played baseball and then they didn't win one year, but then they came back and they won like two. And this is about the the third, the run, right? So it's like the last dance they call it because the, the, uh, administration of the team, like the owner and the general manager have already announced that 
Phil Jackson, who was the famous coach, would not be coming back. And then Michael Jordan, who we all know, Michael Jordan, right? Right. He says, well, if Phil Jackson doesn't come back, I'm not coming back. So it became this season where they kind of knew this was the end of this, like, Bulls run. But, but the documentary is... This really, is in the 90s, late 90s? Yeah, this is like 97, 98. Okay. Season, was that Rodman in the Bulls? Yeah, so in each episode is actually so well done and they kind of profile so you get like a real deep dive into Dennis Rodman and you get a deep dive into Scottie Pippen who's this other famous player and then they kind of do this great timeline so it's like even though it's about that season they'll do like a timeline to keep us organized even if you're not a basketball fan but be like and go back and so you can trace like Michael Jordan of the 80s we all know like that's when he got so famous or Dennis Rodman what he was doing and all these stuff so it's kind of fascinating to kind of relive this time and um, think about Michael Jordan, who was like so big in the eighties, but the bulls never won. And it wasn't until the nineties, like 91, when they first actually won it all. Michael Jordan's the only player that could ever turn it on and off. And he never freaking turned it off. It just didn't seem real. There was none other like him. His balance, his footwork. Mm, mm, mm. We felt like we were the greatest team ever. You have to wonder why Michael Jordan, who is surely the most popular player in our time, would be, in effect, driven out of professional basketball. Yeah, because he's like one of those athletes. Like, even I didn't really follow basketball, but we all know Michael Jordan. Right? He was just everywhere. And the, the shoes and the Spike Lee ads and the weedy cereal and stuff. It's really, it's really well done. Okay. And they moved it up. I guess ESPN was going to release it later, but they moved it up for this because they don't have a lot of content on ESPN, obviously, with everything shut down. Good recommendation. Thank you. I may watch it tonight. It's yeah, I think good. it's really well done. And it also makes me, I always remember when I was a kid, like I really wanted Air Jordans, but I was never allowed to have them. I like Air Jordans. I've been thinking about that a lot when you watch this because it does take you back into like, you know, how he, like, and he, he was just so transcendent as an athlete, the, the things he did that even if you, only casually watch, you'd be like, oh, that's amazing. My recommendation is related to your recommendation, which is um, Dennis Rodman was on Celebrity Big Brother with George Galloway, the MP, and of course, the lead singer of Dead or Alive, Pete Burns. It is the most important reality television that has ever been filmed. Um, it's from 2006. 2006, I think, right? Um, so uh, I think that everyone should watch this specific clip, <laughs> with, which I have been showing Philip. <laughs> We've got my, my coat. I just want my coat back. When Philip and I lived together, this is what we would show all of our guests. I would make them watch this. And it is, Phil, it is uh, Pete Burns. Um, when he realizes that his uh, gorilla fur coat has been taken by Big Brother, and then he discovers that it was arrested, the coat what the coat had been uh, taken by the police, and so it's this whole kind of like speech about freedom of choice and about like being yourself, but weirdly, it's also like a diva tirade about him being uh, about his coat being stolen. And um, he basically, he talks about how he like walked off the Madonna tour and how, um, you know, he's like, he's walked off bigger things off the off of principle, whether it's his lack of clothing, makeup or appearance and he's ready to walk off. And he like does this whole tirade. 
but it's all about this coat and it's weirdly inspired my way of approaching uh, other people. <laughs> Conflict. <laughs> Conflict. I don't know if he's doing that, but when they do that, like, Big Brother Room or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, dude. How's like, the- I don't care. My mood. My mood. <laughs> my like, how's the my mood? mood is vile. My mood is vile. Yeah, I don't care. My mood is vile. Hi, Big Brother. Hello, Pete. My gorilla fur coat is missing from my suitcase. It was packed by ruler. And uh, Dennis has just noticed it's not amongst my luggage or anywhere in the bedroom. Pete, Big Brother can assure you the coat is in safe hands. It's not in my hands, and I want that coat back within the next two hours. Pete, what's the mood in the house like today? I don't give a fuck. Mine's vile. Absolutely vile. Because those kind of things, I feel very unstable in here anyway and disorientated, and that's just absolutely pissed all over the chips. I'm furious. I don't give a fuck about the mood in the house. I want that coat back in the next two hours, and I would beg you to do your very best to get me that coat back. Is the whole season available? There's little clips here and there. I mean, I have a bootleg version of it, obviously. Because it is interesting. I was there, like, when it was on at one point. Yeah. And it was like... You were in London at the time. But it was fascinating how they formed a politician, Dennis Rodman and Pete Burns, developed this, like, um, we call it on the show, like a friendship or whatever they call it on those shows where they yeah. alliance or something. Yeah. 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 They become friends, which is really bizarre that like Dennis Rodman, like a, a political figure, a, a, a well-known political figure in parliament and Pete Burns. Are- and you can see that when you watch this, this last dance, I think it's like episode three where they really get into Dennis Rodman, but they trace that thing from when he gets to a point where he's like, fuck it, I'm going to be myself. And they credit Madonna. I guess he like dated Madonna for a little while there. But they they credit her or this idea of like, why am I like why can't I want to be myself? And so, you know, wearing weird hats or the big sunglasses or these outfits or dyeing his hair and all this stuff. He it's just like so you can see why he would probably appreciate Pete Burns. Alphonse, what do you recommend for for our viewers or listeners to uh, check out? <laughs> um, something I've really been into recently is picnic you know we can't go to restaurants we can't go to bars we can't you know something that i've been looking forward to every sunday is there's this cute little park right next to my house no one's ever there you know i take my mom and my brother there and we spend like five hours there we bring a bunch of food drinks a little bit of weed some music a blanket you know and keep it chill you know we eat my mom likes to dance a little bit we take a little nap, you know, it's cute. You know, it's something that I never did before this pandemic. Something I did, you know, um, when I was like 10, it's like a childhood memory. So it's nice to like be able to spend more outdoor time. There must be a God. Everything is so beautiful. <laughs> oh, you gotta have some space, Francine. Everything will be all right. <laughs> Oh, this is nice. Come on, you help me with the tablecloth, will you, Francine? Okay. It's something we always like think about doing, but never really do it because our lives are so busy. But now we have all the time in the world. So go get a cooler, go get a blanket, get some weed, <laughs> and keep it cute. Absolutely. We need one of those like 
picnic baskets that are really elegant with all the like glasses, you know, those ones yeah. like lined with a Nantucket kind of bag, I feel like. Or something. Yeah, we just have a cooler, so it's just <laughs> practical. <laughs> well, Alphonse, thank you for being on Quirona and discussing all of these pertinent topics with us. Well, thank you for having me. And um, where can people uh, a follow, find out how to get a mask, and also find out more about uh, Queen Butch? And how can they follow your mom, most importantly? Since <laughs> so my personal Instagram is Bear Couture. Um, that's B-A-R-E, like bareback, Bear Couture. <laughs> my masks are sold at Alphonse Dovana, and my link is also on my Instagram. I also have a Queen Butch page on Instagram. It's Queen Butch Official. So if you find me on under Bear Couture, you'll be able to find my website and my Queen Butch um, link as well. I also have a SoundCloud, Queen Butch on SoundCloud. Which have really good mixes that I use to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we our, my, our recent podcast is the Hector Romero live set for my birthday party five hours of just house music and disco music. I played it's just it a at journey my, of just... I played it at my recent party that Philip was at. Oh, really? Uh-huh. My party in peace. Party in peace. I, I had to wear <laughs> peace. Um, and I really recommend that people that are listening to this buy these masks because they're very comfortable as well. They're very, not only chic, but they're really easy to wear for a long period of time. Yeah, they're very fitted. Now, as of last week, I'm offering you know different sizes, a small, medium, large, and also a kid size. Which my nephews are wearing right now. Does it fit, does it fit good? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Well, thank you. We will be back. This is the last episode of our series of Queerona, and we'll be back for series two after this. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Queerona. Queerona was hosted by George Alley, Matthew Ray, and Philip Moore. With editing by Paul Schuler. Theme song, Undivided Attention, by George Alley. Available on iTunes. To support Queerona, please go to patreon.com backslash Queerona. Verona is available on iTunes, automatic.com.